down here on the front. Come on, raise your hand real high if you need a lesson. Boy, you want to, I promise you, you want to take notes tonight. You want to take notes tonight. There we go right here. All right. How many of you ever been through a storm? Have you ever been through a spiritual storm? Mm-hmm. I have been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, uh, had hail damage. Say amen. I know all about storms. Now, uh, tonight's lesson is a good one. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It, it don't matter whether I'm doing it or Travis done it or anybody done it. It's a good one. Amen? Uh, but there's a temptation. There's a temptation when you deal with the subject of storms is to go into it just uh, trying to find something to make us feel better about the storm. In other words, uh, when you're going through the storm, you just want to see the sunshine. Amen? And sometimes when we hear a message or, or hear a lesson on storms, uh, man, tell us how to get through it. Tell us how to survive or, or tell us how to make us feel better uh, about the storm or during the storm. And, and just, we just need some relief. But tonight is going to be a little different. Now, we're going to get that because there's some good stuff in this right here. Uh, we're going to get that. But that's not the main premise of this lesson. Uh, what I want you to see is not just the comfort in the storm and what we see that God is for us in the storm. He is the eye of the storm. Amen? But I want you to see the potential, the potential that we have in the midst of the storm. Sometimes we see the storm as something we have to survive and hold on till it's over. But in the midst of the storm, we find Peter doing something miraculous. Peter experiencing and displaying his faith like never before. And it might be the storm you're going through, God has given you an opportunity to exercise your faith like you've never have before. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now, uh, uh, say this with me. Lord, show me my potential. Say it with me, Lord, show me my potential. All right, Matthew 14, 22. How many of you glad you came to Bible study tonight? It says, in straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. This is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., the darkest time of the night. Amen. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. They thought he was a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Say it with me. Say it with me. Be not afraid. Say it again. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, now it's still storming, y'all. It's still raining. It's, it's still rough. It's still dangerous. It's still scary. It's still a bad situation. But Peter says, let me, let me do something I've never done before. Let me come out there where you are. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately. How many of y'all glad God hears and answers prayer? Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they, were in, uh, then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. You know, it's an amazing thing. The first time they were in a storm, he was with them, asleep in the boat, y'all remember? Uh, and Mark, Mark 4. And, and, and when he calmed the storm, he said, peace be still. They said, what manner of man is this? But in Mark 6, when he walked on the water and got in the ship, they said, mm -hmm, we know who you are. You see, 
There is a level of maturity that has taken place in these chapters from storm to storm. You're going to find out in the Christian life, we're just going from storm to storm. But, man, I feel God bumps a hawk bite right now on my neck. But the next storm you face, there will be a level of maturity that you develop from the storm before that will help you get through the storm you're fixing to go through. Somebody say amen right there. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this study. Lord, I so don't deserve to be able to stand here and do this, but I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful for your mercy and your kindness and, and, and your forgiveness. And, and God, I'm, more, I, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit who, who will teach us tonight, who will, who will come and speak through me. And, and, and Lord, let your word come to our hearts and our minds so that we may be better today than we were yesterday, stronger tomorrow than we were today. God, help us as we're sailing the stormy seas. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, let's put some gospels together. Uh, how many, you, you've, heard me, you've heard me say several times that when you're studying and when you're reading, uh, uh, that you, you want to you read the same story by the different, uh, uh, the different authors or the different gospels because you see a little bit different uh, parts of it. And when you put them all together, you see the big picture. Say amen. You see the whole thing. So we're going to look at Mark uh, chapter number 6 and uh, Matthew to see this story. Now let me describe it to you. Let me set the stage. Let me, let me kind of uh, uh, give you what's going on. Jesus has just got through feeding uh, the 5,000. Y'all with me? He's just got through feeding the 5,000. Uh, the people are kind of wigging out on him. I mean, they're, they're so jacked up on this miracle. They're so, they're so excited about him giving them free food. They want to make him a politician. That's kind of like America, isn't it? You give somebody free food, you got their vote. Amen. Uh, so, so they're trying to make him a king. They want to, according to the book of John, uh, they want to forcefully make him a king. They want to uh, set him up. They want to have an overthrow, if you will, of the Roman government. But Jesus knew that's not his time, and that wasn't the will of God. That wasn't the plan. Jesus did not come to be a politician. He came to be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. His kingdom was coming, but not yet. Now, they wanted to forcefully make him king. Now, here's the problem. The Bible says he constrained his, he hurried up and got his disciples to get on that boat and get out of here. Because the problem with the disciples was the fact that they would have fell in line with the people. Because they had issues. They still didn't understand Calvary. They still didn't understand God's agenda with Jesus. They still didn't understand what Jesus was fixing to do. And all they wanted to argue about was who's going to be the greatest. So they had signed up. Let's do an insurrection. Amen. We're all about it. So Jesus had to get them away from the crowd because the crowd was going to pull them to the way they shouldn't be. So he puts them on a boat, constrains them. I mean, can you see Jesus? Can you see Jesus forcefully putting, hey, guys, come on now, come on. Y'all got to go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Get on the boat, get on the boat. Come on, y'all got to get out of here. Y'all got to get out of here. He sends them off in this boat. Then he goes up to the mountain to pray. He goes up to the mountain to pray. He sends the people away. He sends the disciples out in the boat, out in the, uh, 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 the sea there. Then he goes up to the mountain, and he begins to pray. All right? Time goes by. They're rowing. They're toiling out there in the sea. Uh, he's praying. Now comes nightfall. The Bible says when it became evening or at dark, he sees them toiling. According to Mark 6. According to Mark 6. He sees them toiling. And, and, and it's getting worse. Wind comes up. The sea begins to get rough. And, and now they're in a bad way. Now they are in a storm. And we know, we know what we just read. Jesus comes walking on the water, so forth and so on. Now, there's several things about this story that I want to talk about. Now, I had a temptation of getting hung up in the first point because uh, the first point is preachable on Sunday morning. Say amen. I wanted to just hang with the storm and, and, and what, what about the storm we need to know. But I, God says you need to get them all. You, you, they need to understand all of what's happening in this particular story. So number one, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Uh, first, let's look at the storm in this story. The storm in this story. More specifically, I want you to see the path of the storm. The path of the storm. 
You say, preacher, what are you getting at? Jesus constrained his disciples to go into this sea. He was directing them. How many of y'all know the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by, by the Lord? They were following his direction. They were following his guidance. They were following his leadership. They were in the perfect will of the Lord. But yet in the perfect will of the Lord, they found themselves in the path of a storm. Preacher, why are you saying all this? Because many times in our Christian life, when we get ourselves into a storm, when we find ourselves when things are not comfortable and when the wind starts to blow and, and things begin to get difficult and things begin to get fearsome and things begin to get to a place where we don't understand what's going on, the first thing we want to do is say, what in the world is God doing to me? Where is he at? I don't know if I'm in the Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And we start wondering whether or not we're in the will of God. It could be this, that the will of God or the storm is a great indication that you are in the will of God. The first thing that happens to Abraham, the first thing that happens to Abraham, he begins his walk of faith with God. God calls him out from his homeland. God calls him out from his people. And he takes him and says, I'm going to take you to a place. I want to take you to a place. And we know what that place is. It's Israel, uh, the promised land. He takes him there when he gets to Canaan. When he gets to Canaan, guess what? The first thing that happens when he gets to Canaan, a famine. Or if you want to use the terminology, a storm, a problem. When you begin your faith walk, don't, don't think that everything is a cakewalk. Don't think that everything's going to be perfect because that's not necessarily true. And don't, listen, don't think that the presence of the storm indicates the absence of the Savior. Don't, 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 don't ever think, uh, don't ever think because you're going through a storm that God is not there. The Bible says that God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Preacher, what are you saying? God does his best work when you get in trouble. The path of the storm. If you're saved, you're going to be in the path of a storm. If you know Jesus, you're going to face difficulty in your life. If you know the Lord, if you're following him, if you're following his direction, if you're following his guidance, if you're following his leadership, I promise you this, you will face a storm. The path of the storm. Uh, B, write this down. Write this down. I want you to see, I want you to see the purpose of the storm. The purpose of the storm. I'm glad to know God doesn't send us somewhere without a reason. He never puts us in a place without a purpose for the place he puts us in. The purpose of a storm. We see storms throughout the Bible. One storm that we see in the Bible is a storm of discipline. Of discipline. It's easy to see this one. It's easy to, to read Jonah. It's easy to see a, a man who is disobeying God, a man who is running the opposite direction of where God told him to go, a man who is disobeying the Lord. And because of his disobedience, he runs right in the middle of a storm. A storm. Preacher, why is that? Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He did not send the storm because he hated Jonah. He sent the storm because he loved Jonah. Y'all ain't hearing me tonight. My father never whipped me because he hated me. My father whipped me because he loved me. And he cared about me. And I'm telling you what, there is a God in heaven who is our Father. If you are saved and you are born again, you are a child of God. And if you stray away from him, he will send a storm your way to get your attention, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. Because he loves you. We see storms of disobedience, storms that come because we make poor choices, storms uh, that come because we choose to disobey the Lord, we choose to disregard the word of God in our life, and we choose to do our own thing. We make stupid decisions in our life, and that runs us right headlong into a storm. Storms of disobedience. Then there's storms of development. Storms of development. 
Preacher, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm saying this. The disciples were obedient. Jonah was disobedient, and he ran into a storm. The disciples were obedient, but yet they ran into a storm. You see, God has a way of using storms to develop his children. He uses storms to develop our faith. He uses storms to develop maturity. He develops storms. Listen, he'll send storms of development so it will develop uh, uh, strength and stamina and an ability to trust him when the going gets rough. Somebody say amen. Now, the only problem is in our Christian life is that the storms, the storms of discipline and the storms of development, they feel identical. The rain in Jonah's storm felt like the rain in the disciples' storm. The wind in, man, I'm preaching tonight. I'm tell, The wind in Jonah's storm felt like the same wind in the disciples. And what happens is we as God's children, we get confused. We get confused, and, and when we run into a storm, and, and we're trying our best, and we're, we're doing all that we know to do, and we're following God the best we know to follow him, we think he's mad at us, and we think he's angry at us, and we think he's punishing us when all he's trying to do is to develop us. Now, I know what you're thinking. You remember I said Sunday, I'm psychic. Mm. Well, how in the world can we know the difference? How can we know the difference? How do we know if we're in a storm of discipline or a storm of development? It's very easy. It's very easy. If you ever end up in a storm of discipline, he's already told you several times it's coming. I've never been just going through my daily life and my father just snatched me up and wear me out. Every whipping I've got in my life, I knew it was coming. Do I have a witness? I knew exactly. He didn't have to explain it to me, even though he did. Will you ever do this again? Will you? I'm going to beat this out of you. Am I, am I, am I preaching? We, we knew what we was getting a whipping for. We knew what we was getting corrected for. Because, see, here's the deal. When it comes to discipline, God don't want to send a storm. He, he doesn't want to send. See, he likes to send that still, small voice. Uh-uh. And, see, if we'll listen to the still, small voice, if we'll listen to the still, small voice, we won't have to face the storm. How you know that? Because immediately when the storm came and all those, all those people in Jonah's ship asked, what in the world's going on? He said, it's me. We know, don't we? You see, if God's not convicting you of a sin, God, if God is not convicting you of a disobedient situation in your life, if you know you're living the way you're supposed to be living and you're trying your best and you're going the right direction, you know it's not a storm of discipline. If there's no sin in your life that he hasn't told you about, it's a storm of development. And you see, uh, in the storm of discipline, it's easy. If it's discipline, repent and do right. In the moment you repent and do right, the storm's over. Storm's over. Because the only reason for the storm is to get to get you to turn back to him. Amen. And if it's a storm of development, you need to look to him and be patient. If he's not in the boat asleep, he's on his way. Y'all with me? I like this part right here. I almost got hung up on this one right here. We see, we see the, uh, the uh, what I say, the path of the storm. And then I, we saw the purpose of the storm. But I want you to see the presence of in the storm. 
the presence in the storm. According to Mark chapter number 6, <clears throat> I love the way it's worded and, and the way he describes it. In Mark chapter number 6, the Bible says that he's up there praying. Now watch this, watch this. Jesus sends, sends them out on the sea. They're following his direction. They're following his will. They're down here. He goes up into the mountain to pray. Y'all with me? They're down here trying to do his will and go the direction he sent them, and they're in a storm while he's up here praying. Y'all ain't got it yet. Right now, we're down here doing everything we can to get through this storm while he's up there interceding on our behalf. The Bible says, the Bible says, and in, 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 in I believe it's Romans, <clears throat> I believe it's Romans, it says that, that he liveth to intercede for you and me. Preacher, what are you saying? What are you saying? I'm saying this, that God loves you and he is praying for you. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Watch this right here. Watch this right here. Uh, in verse, in, in, in Mark chapter number 6, let me, let me flip over there. Verse number 48. Verse number 48. <clears throat> it says in Mark 6 verse 48, it says, And he saw them toiling and rolling. They're down here. He's up here. From that vantage point, you can see everything. Y'all with me? Now watch, in the storm, you may not be able to see him, but he sees you. In, in the book of Job, in the book of Job, Job is in the midst of a storm. Y'all with me? Job is in the midst of a storm. And in chapter 23, verse 8, he says, behold, I go forward, but he is not there. I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But, in other words, I've looked all over the place, and I can't see him. But verse number, verse number 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. In other words, when I come out this test, I'm going to be a whole lot better than I was before I came into this test. He said, I've looked behind me. I've looked in front of me. I've looked to the left. I've looked to the right. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and I can't feel God. I can't see God. I can't perceive God. I don't know where God is, but I know he knows where I am. And listen, when you're in the midst of the storm and you can't feel him, and you can't see him, and it seems like you can't hear him. Honey, just hold on. Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't get out of the ship. Stay right where you are because even though you can't see him, he can see you. Thank God for the eye of the storm. Say amen. And, 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 and by the way, by the way, he... <laughs> He saw him, he saw him as soon as it got dark. But he didn't get to them till about 3 o'clock in the morning. I thought about that. He didn't get to them till they were in the midst, meaning middle, of the sea. What's he doing? This is a storm of development. He had to allow them to come to the end of themselves. Where there was no other human means or effort to save the day. And the, and the fourth watch of the night is the darkest time of night. Why am I focusing on this? You need to understand something. It's going to get darker before the dawn. 
And just because it's getting darker in your life, that doesn't mean he's not in control. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You say, preacher, it's darker than it's ever been before. It's worse than it's ever been before. It seems like it's, it's, it's just horrible. Hey, even, even Lazarus' sister said, you're too late. He's been dead too long. He's done stinking by now. Well, I'm telling you, God can take your stinking situation and he can turn it around. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how long it's been. He can step in and breathe life back into your situation. Listen, why did, why did God make it where they couldn't see him? Because God don't want you living by sight. He wants you living by faith. Because your senses will lie to you. Because sometimes what you see, and if you dictate your safety by your situation and not by who he is, your situation will trick you. Your senses will cause you to fear when there's nothing to fear. Your senses will cause you not to trust when there's no reason to. Hey, I'm telling you, don't be lied and fooled by your emotions. We don't walk. We don't walk by, listen, we don't walk by sight. We don't walk by what the atmosphere is. We don't walk by what our situation feels like. It doesn't matter what our surroundings are. We serve a God who's got his eye on you. Say amen. Listen, the presence in the storm. Here he comes. Here he comes. Walking on what they had scared all them. God used what was causing fear in their life to bring himself to them. Some of you will get it in a minute. What happened in the first storm? What happened in the first storm? Peter comes to Jesus and said, Carest thou not that we perish? Now, here's the deal. We can get all sideways with Peter if we want to. But it was the storm that got him looking for it. You know, God may send us a storm to get us looking for him. And it it may be the storm that draws him closer to you. I promise you this. Bible said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You'll never be closer to Jesus than when you're fellowshipping in his suffering. Amen. Now watch, we're in a storm. We're in a scary time. Now this is Mark. Read, read Mark. Here, here's what's happening. They're in. They're in the ship. They're in the ship. Imagine. Imagine the choir loft. That's the ship. That's the ship. The disciples are in this ship. They're rowing, they're rowing, they're doing everything they can to make it. Uh, you know, it's just a bad situation. They're in a storm, and here comes Jesus. Read it. Read it. He says he would have walked right on by. Read it. Mark 6. You say, why? And I was curious, what's up with that? Why didn't he just go get in the boat? See, here's something you got to get. He's developing their faith. He's developing their trust and confidence in him. He's developing in them the desire to look for him when they're in need. Now watch what happens. The presence of the storm. There's two things under there. I want you to put this here. First, his presence was not experienced. In other words, they didn't feel him. They didn't see him. How many of you have ever been to a place that felt like you was all alone in your trouble? Amen. Ain't nothing will make you look for the heater like the cold. Amen. They didn't experience his presence. But we know by reading, his eye never left them. 
I'll give you an illustration. My father, my father and my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was unique, my, my father's mother. Uh, I had an ice cream grandmama, and I had an orange street grandmama. My mama's mama had all the ice creams, and, 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 the, and, the, and the children, uh, the grandchildren got away with murder, anything and everything they wanted, Twinkies 24-7. I need a witness. My mom's mom, my my grand my, my grandmother on my daddy's side, my dad's mom, she was a little more old fashioned. She was my WWF grandmama. Uh I, I was I was I was I was raised and developed under Dusty Rhodes and 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 are y'all with me? Hack Hacksaw Jim Duggan, amen. The nature boy, Rick Flair. Woo! Amen. One of the greatest birthdays of my life was when my grandmama, she paid the tickets and took me down to West Palm Beach Coliseum and I got to see Ric Flair in person. I need a witness right there. <laughs> the greatest day in my grandmama's life was when they bought her the big screen TV with the dual screens. They had one screen here and one screen there and that was at the time that there was more than one wrestling network and she had one on one side and one on the other and she watched them both at the same time. And she kept a pillow in her lap, and when that fight was going on, she was beating that pillow to death, son. I'm talking about the whole time. And if you ever, if you ever said wrestling was fake, she would beat your eyes out. <laughs> Brother Sharp, am I exaggerating any of this, what I said? That's right, you know her. My grandmother told my dad when he was a little old bitty thing, Stay with me. They were in the, in, in the grocery store. Stay with me. She'd go to do her shopping. He'd wander off. She'd hunt him down, grab him, snatch him, said, stay with me. I done told you to stay with me. About that third time, he was over there uh, and, and wasn't paying attention, and so she just went on around the corner and was peeking through the potato chip aisle. When my dad turned around and realized that grandma was gone, he let out the biggest blood-curling scream there ever has been in all of creation. He was screaming, crying, red-faced. The manager came. Listen, different uh, 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 box boys came. They tried to calm him down. He said, I don't want to be calmed down. I want my mama. And I'm out. she's watching the whole time through the potato chip aisle. When she felt like he had had enough, she come on around the corner and said, are you going to stay with me now? He never was in any danger. He never was in any trouble. But he sure enough was in a storm. Sometimes the storm you go through, you won't feel him, you won't know he's around, but he's going to be looking through the tater chip aisle. Say amen. You can't see him, but you can believe he can see you. His presence here was not experienced. They couldn't feel him. But here's the deal you got to get. His presence was not expected. This is where we have the problem in the, in the church today. And most Christians, when they go through the storm. Now watch. They should... Now watch, y'all with me? Let's get back, let's get back, let's get back to my little, my little scene here. Jesus is walking on the water, the ship's going, he's just walking just like he's going right on by. Jesus will never force himself on anybody. Jesus wants you to recognize him, call upon him, trust him. Y'all with me? But the problem was, when they saw him, they didn't recognize him. When they saw him walking on the water, it wigged them out. They was afraid. They started crying out, oh! Why? They didn't recognize him. Now, why didn't they recognize him? 
family wasn't expecting him. Now, why is that important? Maybe God's not showing up in your storm because you're not looking for him. Maybe you're still trying to row hard. Maybe you're still trying to figure out the compass. Maybe you're still trying to manipulate your situation and trying to figure out how you can fix it. Instead of saying, Jesus, I can't see you, I I can't feel you, and I can't hear you, but I know you out there somewhere. Oh, help us, Lord. I guarantee you this, if they'd have been looking for him, they'd have found him. Knock, and it shall be. Seek, and ye shall. Maybe we need to just stop a minute in our storm and say, Lord, I've been, I've been trying to get through this thing without you. Y'all with me? 21 minutes, all right. The storm. The storm. But see, I want you to see the second thing. Not just, not just the storm. Because you're, you're going you're to face the storms. Just, just, just bank on it. I'm telling you, just, you might as well just get it through your head. They're coming. They are coming let's look for him and when you get in the middle of it don't wig out on him because even though if you can't feel him and you don't think he hears you and you don't think you can see him he sees you and everything's gonna be all right amen now watch i want you to see number two i want you to see the ship not just the storm but i want you to see the ship now now we have jesus walking on the water and we got a ship full of uh disciples and there's something about this ship you need to see. This ship is comfortable. Say it with me. This ship is comfortable. Now, the problem with a modern-day Christian is we like it to be comfortable. We don't, like, we don't like it when our feathers get ruffled. We don't like it when, when things get changed around. Uh, uh, there, was, there was just a, a, a great number of Christians martyred and executed in North Korea. Uh, Christianity is exploding where there's great affliction. But here in America, it's dying. It's plateauing. You know why? Because we like our comfort. And there's something about the boat that's very comfortable. Out on the sea, there's great waves, and there's great danger, and there's great adversity. And, 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 and that's a scary thing. But here in this boat, we can stay safe. You see, there's a lot of churches that want to stay in a traditional format because it's comfortable. Even though they're not reaching anybody. There's churches that call us every week wanting help. I just had one recently call said, now we're very traditional. We hate contemporary music and, 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 and we're stuck in our ways, but help us. I said, how many you got? About 20. You know what they're saying? We're comfortable. We're very comfortable. Don't rock the boat. Don't mess with my singing. Don't mess with my music. Don't mess with my methods. Don't mess with my style. It don't matter if the, the world's going to hell. I'm comfortable where we are. I'm telling you, as long as you care more about comfort than you do character, you'll never get out of the boat. This boat is comfortable. This boat is not only comfortable, it's confining. Me and my brother, me and my brother, my, my wife's been trying to talk me into going on a cruise. See, she ain't never saw Gilligan, y'all. 
yeah, just a little trip is all they're going to take. Me and my brother are identical. I mean, in some ways, we're complete polar opposites, but in some ways, we're, we're a lot the same. And, 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 and I said, well, Joe, how'd that cruise go? You went on that cruise. How'd it go? He said, the first day I got on that thing, and I walked to one end of that ship, and then I walked to the other end of that ship, and I about got claustrophobic. There wasn't nowhere to go. You know what he was saying? It was confining. You know what? That, that, that ship's confining. It, it's, it, it, that, that being in the boat would just cause you to be in a box. You see, when you're in the boat, you're very confined. There's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can experience. There's only, there's a, are, are y'all with me? And when you put God in a box, and you say God can only do what you think he can do. And God is only for what you think he is for. And God is only pleased with what you think he's pleased with. you in the boat. You're in the box of traditionalism. Peter's wanting to walk on the water and everybody else is telling him, I ain't never done it that way before. Well, I te- let's move along. We're... we're, we're we're enjoying this. This boat is comfortable. This this boat is confining. It's confining. This boat is congested. There's a whole lot of people riding in the boat, but there ain't many of them walking on the water. I'm going to get emails from this one. Well, I tell you what, I don't, I, 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 I had one, I had one person tell me, I had one person, tell, and I love this guy, he's my hero, uh, and, 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 and he said, he said, now Malcolm, some of them things you're doing, he says, he said, one of the, one of the things was the Sunday night service, you know, and we changed it around and put our Sunday school on Sunday night, uh, he said, there's no Bible mandate whatsoever. No Bible mandate whatsoever uh, that you have to have a Sunday night service. He said, I'm for you. Whatever you're going to do, whatever you just follow God's leadership and do whatever God's telling you to do, not that I'm going to follow your lead. <laughs> and, and, and that's fine. I mean, that, that, that's great with that. But do you realize there are so many churches that are dying on the vine and they're not willing to change because they're afraid of what somebody's going to say about them? Well, I've just been doing this this long. I might as well keep doing it. That makes sense, doesn't it? Y'all with me? They're confined to a box of somebody's opinion, regardless of what God is willing to do with you and God is inviting you to do. God wants you to walk on the water. God wants you to experience power. God wants you to experience his touch. God wants you to do what he shows you he can do, but they will not do it because they're afraid of what the brethren are going to think. It's congested. There's not a whole lot of people doing what we're doing. One, because they're afraid. But that's all right. Yeah, but he sunk in the water. I'd rather sink out there walking on it than staying in the boat with the rest of them. <laughs> the boat. Let's don't, get so, let's don't get so in love with the boat that we can't get out there with Jesus. Listen, the storm, the ship, I want you to see the servant, the servant. And by the way, I'm teaching this tonight because God told me to, but I'm teaching this tonight because we're going to start First and Second Peter. Uh, I, I didn't want to start it, and then us, we're, we're out next week because of Thanksgiving. We're going to catch up. We're going to start the following week, and, uh, and uh, we're going to deal with going through the fire. Faithful in the fire. And, uh, and, and we're going to focus on this man Peter and his letters in the, in the word of God. Uh, and, and, and Peter's an intriguing character. He's an intriguing character. Uh, he came down and asked Jesus, carest thou not that we perish? He was always putting his foot in his mouth. I like this guy. Say amen. 
but he had some gumption. He had a willingness. Even though he messed up all the time, he had a willingness, and God seen the desire, and God gave him the keys to the kingdom. And he got to preach and see thousands saved, even though he was the one that denied Christ. God saw something deeper. Well, I tell you what, I'm never going to fail because I'm never going to try. God would rather you try and fail than never try at all. Look at this servant. Look at this servant. We see first, I want you to see his desire. His desire. He says, he he says in verse 28, And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Can I come out there? Can I come out there? His desire. His desire was courageous. Boy, we need some Christians that will be courageous today. You know, it, it takes a lot of courage to go against the status quo. It takes a lot of courage to do what others won't do. It takes a lot of courage to step out, even though you know nobody else is going to step out with you. But you got to be willing to step out whether they step out or not. God, listen, God needs courageous Christians. His desire was courageous. His desire was controversial. Anytime you do something for God this big, you're going to have controversy. Say, preacher, I just don't like rocking the boat. Well, then you're you're not going to, it's going to be difficult. Because if Jesus had controversy, you're going to have controversy. Watch this right here. Watch this right here. I gave two illustrations. Now, we can look back at this and, and, and think, well, that was no big deal. But it was then. Watch. The missionary societies and the mission boards. This is really before there was a mission board. At the Northampton Baptist Association Convention, the morning of May 30th, 1792, William Carey said to expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. He went on to once again urge his fellow ministers to begin a missionary society for spreading the gospel. There were no missionary societies, and there was no real missionary interest at all. When Carey propounded this subject for discussion at a minister's meeting, uh, this is he says, whether the, the command given to the apostles to teach all nations was not obligatory on all succeeding ministers to the end of the world. In other words, he was saying, we have a responsibility to get the gospel to every creature. In other words, he says, we have a mission field. We have a responsibility to take the gospel to everybody all over the world. Say amen right there if you understand that. Dr. Ryland shouted to him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. Andrew Fuller added his feelings as as resembling the unbelieving captain of Israel. He said, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be. In other words, they shot down. What today we think is very normal. But in that day, it was contemporary. You know what the word contemporary means? New. That's it. And we put a stigma on it. Oh, any contemporary music is bad. No, it's not. Why are they singing a new song in heaven? The Bible says we're to sing a new song on earth. Y'all with me? If you, if you put that, that claim on it, then anybody that writes a song today, it's bad because it's new. Now, is there some, is there some music that's contemporary, that's labeled contemporary, that's garbage? Absolutely. If it brings more glory to the singer than it does the Savior, it's garbage. Whether it's contemporary, southern gospel, bluegrass, hillbilly, country, it doesn't matter. If, if it doesn't bring glory to God, it's trash. But just because it's new, don't make it bad. And just because it's old people, don't make it good. Amen. I can hunker down if I need to. 
they were saying, listen, a society to reach the, the, and bring the gospel to the foreign fields was crazy. You know why? It was controversial. They'd never done it before. And because they'd never done it before, automatically, it was bad. Watch this. this is, you'll really get a kick out of this one. Sunday school. Because they were new and because they represented a threat to conventional modes of church life, now we're talking about Sunday school, they were often frowned upon by ministers and church leaders at the beginning uh, and at the beginning thrived on what amounted to virtual persecution. In other words, when they tried to start Sunday schools, they were persecuted for it because it was new. Many ministers were threatened by every kind of innovation. Lay teaching jeopardized clerical preaching. Religious and secular subjects were blended. Women acquired new roles in the churches. We are told of ministers who chased female Sunday school teachers with sticks and brooms, calling them servants of Satan. In Nashville, Tennessee, in the early 1820s, one congregation posted a sign, no desecration of the Holy Sabbath by teaching on the Sabbath in this church would be permitted. God forbid we teach people about Jesus. Now, let me, let me bring it up to date. Sunday school's a method. And when it was first developed, it was new. And because it was new, it was controversial. And anytime you step out of the boat, it's going to take courage because it's controversial. Anytime you do something different than what's already been done, it's going to be controversial. And if you don't have a backbone, and if you don't have courage, Y'all with me? Can you imagine the guys in the boat with Peter? Don't do it. Are you crazy? That's water out there. Nobody's ever walked on water. Jesus is out there walking on it. You see, don't ever listen to the natural man. Don't ever listen to the natural and be confused by the natural when it's the supernatural at work. If the supernatural ever says, come, giddy up. If God ever tells you to do something, do it. I remember when I was going to start, I was going to uh, do uh, small groups. I... I I had read and studied on it when I was back in South Carolina. And, and I had the stuff and I had the information. And I really didn't pursue it. And uh, maybe, I don't know, two years, two years or three years after I'd been here, I don't know how long it was, but uh, God put it in my heart to, to start small groups. And, and, and I made some mistakes. Number one, I didn't train people right. Number two, I forced people into groups. You don't do that. Uh, number three, I listened to critics. People were coming to me and just saying this, so I listened to critics. Instead of being courageous and doing what, even though it was controversial, I knew God was telling me to do it, I listened to critics, and I stayed in the boat. We quit them. Well, eventually, a few years later, we'd done outgrown our facilities, we outgrew our building, and we were desperately needing space, and we were desperately needing these small groups because we, had, we could not grow anymore in the facilities we were in, and we should have done been two or three years ahead of where we were, and I was way behind schedule because I listened to stinking critics. You know the sad part about that whole story? They left. Not long after we quit the small group, And here I am supposed to have done done it, and I'm way behind schedule, and the ones I listen to is not even with me anyway. You know what I found out? If they're going to criticize that, you can change it if you want to, but they're going to find something else in about a week or two. So don't dictate the direction of your Christian life by critics. There's always going to be controversy in the ministry. But the only one you got to please is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And if he's smiling, I don't care who's frowning. Say amen right there. Listen, got to hurry. I got a minute and 30 seconds. Listen, his desire was courageous. It was controversial. But then his decision, his decision to come out the boat, it involved risk. If you're ever going to do something significant for God, it's going, it's going to take a risk. It's, it just is. The risk it involved, then the release it included. I like this. He had to leave what he knew. These are the steps out of the ship. Now, now this is this is this is me and you. I know y'all are a whole lot more spiritual than I am. <laughs> am I right, Travis? Sometimes when you got to go do what you ain't never done, the hardest part is just letting go of what you know. Boy, I wish I had about another 20 minutes. No, I can't. I can't. There's children out there. Amen. Listen, let's get to the Savior quickly. Let me tell you these. I'm not going to preach. I'm just tell it to you. The Savior. Hey, write this down. Write this down. <clears throat> he inspired. He inspired. He came walking on the sea. Verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, in the darkest time of night, Jesus came walking on the sea. I'm glad God will inspire us to do bigger things than what we think we can do. He inspires me, he invites. He said, come on. Come on. Here's the question. What's he inviting you to do? Travis, what, what in you I is he wanting you to step out and risk? Brother O'Neill, what, what is what is God wanting you to believe him for in life recovery Friday night? Temple, what's he wanting us to believe him for? He's saying, come. Come on. What miracle does he want you to experience? He's inviting you to tonight. Come on. The Savior inspires, he invites. And I'm glad when we mess it up, he intervenes. Let me say this and we'll pray. He said, Y'all know what happened. He gets out there. He's doing it. I mean, he's accomplishing it. And he looks at the waves. And he begins to sing. Now, I need y'all to pay attention right here because this might be the humdinger you needed all night. He said, why'd you doubt? I mean, they just come out of a buffet where he fed 5,000 one last lunch. Now, listen, I'm telling you, I'm fixing to give you a revelation right here. Revelation. They had seen him step on the bow of that ship and say, peace, be still. The winds and waves immediately calmed. Immediately. It amazed them so much they said, what manner of man is this? Now see, they done experienced all that, but yet he sang. And Jesus said, why did you doubt? 
And the word there, if you study it out, it's literally meaning this, to see two ways. To see two ways. It says in the, in the New Testament, a double-minded man is un. In, in, other word, in other words, he sees Jesus, yet he sees the storm. And any time we see two ways, and instead of focusing on one, we're going to sink. As long as we focus on our problem, our focus on him is going to be blurry. Because you can't focus on two things at the same time. Because if you try, you're going to be cross-eyed. Y'all with me? So what I believe the lesson here that we need to see is focus on Him. Focus on the Son, not your situation. Focus on Him. Keep your eyes on Him. Keep your eyes on Him. Don't take your eyes off of Him. Because when you take your when you. <laughs> Travis, there's going to be some more to quit you because they're congested in the boat and they're confined to their traditions. But if you start looking at them and not him, you're going to sink. But no matter who stays in the boat, you keep your eyes on him. Everything will be all right. Church, say amen. Let's stand. Everybody stand. We got to pray. And and and, and uh, they charge me overtime in back there when we go four minutes over. I'm kidding. They don't.